When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, it's Ethan Skolnick, co-host of the Five Reasons Sports Podcast and co-founder of the Five Reasons Sports Network. We want to introduce you to a lot of the other voices in our network. We now have 13 podcasts. You can find all of them by typing in Five Reasons Sports to your favorite podcast provider. And so we've been doing these spotlights over the weekend, in addition to the three episodes that we do per week on the flagship. Last week, we gave you a taste of balls cast and three yards per carry for two very different perspectives about the Dolphin season. And because we do cover every professional and major collegiate sport here in this market, wanted to make sure to expose you to what we're doing with the Marlins and with the Panthers. We have experienced hosts on both respected hosts on both and Steve Goldstein on Goldie on Ice and Craig Mish on swings and misses. And as the Marlins are closing their season and the Panthers are about to start theirs, having just started training camp last week, I wanted to give you a little taste, partial of their episodes that they did this week. So we're going to start first with swings and misses and a sit down with Tommy Hutton, who has rejoined the broadcast team. He talked about his career, his tenure earlier with the Marlins, and also about his return. And we're going to give you a little snippet of that and that episode, which again, you can find the full episode by typing in swings and mishes to your podcast provider. And then Goldie on Ice sat down with Sean Thornton, who retired a year ago, but went to work in the Panthers front office. Sean, always an interesting interview. So we're going to give you some of Steve Goldstein with Sean Thornton after we give you Craig Mish with Tommy Hutton. So we hope you enjoy this, but mostly we hope that you subscribe to their episodes so you can get every new episode as soon as it posts. And now, Swings and Mishes. You were so popular here as a broadcaster with Lynn Casper and then, of course, with Rich Waltz, who's one of my favorites for many, many years. And I think that the reason why you were so popular with Marlins fans is because when they were winning, you were cheering. And when they were losing, you were very transparent with everything that, w- that was going on with the team. And, in fact, there were so many times, Tommy, where the, the Tommy Hutton classic blow-ups would be over the, the umpires getting it wrong before they were, they were replay. And so I would ask you now, coming back, because it does seem like you brought pretty much the same touch, but is that difficult as a broadcaster to kind of have to – you've never had to, but to have to watch your words. You've been doing it for so many years, not just with the Marlins. I know you had previous experience also with ESPN and, and I believe the Yankees as well. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever really uh, sat up in the booth or, or now doing pre- and post-game shows and said to myself, boy, I ha- really have to watch what I say. Um, I, I always thought it was a compliment when a fan would come up to me and they'd go, oh, man, last night you, you said exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I wanted to say. And uh, I always thought that was a compliment. And 
And I, I always felt bad when I would hear uh, uh, things written or things that were said uh, when I was let go that people said, oh, well, he was negative. And I was never negative toward Marlins players. Uh, as you said, I, I wanted them to win. I was upset when they lost. And the bottom line is sometimes honesty is construed into negativity. And, and that's, uh, that's, I guess, where that story ends. Yeah, and it ended with, I know, uh, you getting a phone call uh, many years ago. And, I, you know, as part of this, Tommy, it's just kind of revisiting the history as to, you know, how this happened. Of all the things that have been done, and as you know, the Marlins traded away a lot of players, but, you know, people kind of understood at least some of them in terms of the direction that the Marlins wanted to go now under the new ownership. But the previous ownership was the one that led to the decision there was discussion that it was over a game potentially you being too critical and I know from at least the things that you have said and told people you never got a real reason like you never got a real like hey this is specifically what we didn't like this is this is what we didn't want you to do and I can only imagine what that had to feel like for you saying gosh like at least tell me why well, I know, and, and you're right. For, for a few months, I had that feeling. I, I certainly have gotten over that. Uh, that was all from the previous uh, ownership. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, new, a new journey. I, I, it was funny when I was asked to get involved in the pre- and post-game shows by uh, uh, Brett Updike, uh, executive producer with Fox Sports Florida. I said, you sure, are you sure you want to hire me? I've never done this stuff before. I've never done pre- and post-game. <laughs> right, true. Because it's, it's, it is different. Uh, than doing a game and people people have asked me about uh, are you going to have some rant you know I have some fun with it but it's so much different than the spontaneity of doing a game you know when you're sitting up there for three hours doing a game and it's live there's stuff that just happens uh, the pre and post game shows are pretty much mapped out and we know ahead of time what we're going to talk about so it's a little bit different than I mean if something comes up during a game that might uh, tweak me a little bit I I may have some fun with it, but uh, yeah, it, it's much different doing pre and post game shows than actual games. Yeah, we're here with uh, Tommy Hutton. He is uh, broadcasting Marlins games again, pre and post game. Uh, had a long career in Major League Baseball, which we're going to get to as well. Uh, before we get to that, what what do you think the future holds for you as far as broadcasting? Have Have you guys discussed anything? Do you feel like there's a, a good opportunity potentially to be back and doing this more? in 2019 because as you know with the way that the you know the Marlins season has kind of gone it's now at least for the most part as much optimism as possible getting to a point where the team is on the field and good again yeah I really haven't discussed it with anybody I I would certainly be open to uh being involved again I I think from what I've heard I think uh, everybody's uh, fairly pleased with the way things have gone um and and, I'm, and when the season ends, I, I'm probably just going to sit back. I'm not going to reach out. Uh, hey, I've I've been on a vacation for a long time, so uh, I I don't know if and I and I'm sure I would never get involved in all 150, 162 games. Uh, at this point in time, that's just too many. And and I enjoyed my time uh, when I wasn't working. I enjoyed the things we did. So, uh, but I certainly would be open to get, getting involved again. I really like the. Uh, and, and I can see the direction that the organization is going, and I, and I really like it. I know it's frustrating for fans uh, to, to get, get beaten, but then it's nice to, to see a game like uh, last night and see Urania beat uh, Jacob deGrom. So 
there's some good things out there. I, I think the direction is, is in the right way. So it, it would be fun to be involved in that. And Tommy, uh, going offbeat a little bit from from the Marlins path here for a second, w- one of my personal uh, greatest idols growing up was actually Gary Carter. Um, in fact, his his daughter Christy was my third grade teacher. Um, oh. and, and she's, Christy, she's, Christy, and my oldest son used to ride the bus to school together all the time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> right. And so I, I've seen I've seen how how you and Gary were were very close and and in fact neighbors, um, as you just said with with riding the bus growing up. And and I was wondering <laughs> if you could just share maybe your best or your favorite Gary Carter story. I know he's one of the good guys in in the history of baseball. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, we were uh, very good friends for oh, 30 years plus. Once we started uh, started out as teammates uh, with the uh, Montreal Expos, prior to that, when I was with the Phillies and he was with the Expos, he was one of those players. If you were on the other team, couldn't stand the guy. Look at this guy. What's he doing? <laughs> and you can't have that much fun. You can't play that hard all the time. Anyway, fast forward, you become teammates, and all of a sudden you realize that's exactly the way he is, and that's the way he was. He, he, he was like that on the golf course. We played a lot of golf together, and I, I never hit the ball as far as him, and I wasn't as good a golfer as him. And so he'd have to give me strokes. It killed him for him to give me strokes. I said, kid, that's the way the game's played. If you're not that good – You've got to give the other guy, it killed him. How many poly pops am I going to give you today? And so he would have fun. He was competitive, uh, even on the golf course. So we would, we would have, and we had many great times out there. Now, are you still on the DL with golf? I, I know in the, you, you had mentioned that you had a... a yeah, I'm getting close. Yeah, I'm okay. getting close coming back. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have thought a couple of times, I've thought about this because uh, over the last couple of years, I've, I've gotten my handicap down a little better, close in the Gary Carter range. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about it at the time. You know what? He wouldn't have had to give me as many strokes. I don't know if I'd have liked that. (laughs) Right, right. You know, Tommy, it's it's so interesting to me when we see – uh, you know, players, executives, broadcasters who have been in, in the game, involved in the game for so long. And, and we'll touch on Marlins history here in a minute. I don't think people realize, Tommy, especially millennial types who have just seen you on TV, the career that you've had in the game, playing 12 years in the game. And me just going back from a historical perspective, it may not move the needle for some people li- listening digitally to a podcast. But, Tommy, like, you played with Sandy Koufax, and you played with Don <laughs> Drysdale and Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton. And as Jeremy mentioned, the, the players on the Expos in, uh, in the Hawk and Gary Carter, like, a, a wide-spanning career. And the Rock, Tim Raines. And Tim Raines. And Jim Bunning, I even see. Like, all these Hall of Famers that you played <laughs> with. And, and well, some of those guys – yeah, some of those guys minimally uh, when I got called up by the Dodgers – uh, I, I will tell you a great story. I've, I've told it many times. The very first game I ever got in was uh, in 1966. I was 20 years old. I got called up in September, and I got in to play one inning, one inning of defense at first base, and I got to play behind Sandy Koufax. It was a game at Dodger Stadium in L.A., of course, 56,000 people there, and it was toward the end of the season, not knowing it was going to be his last season. And when the game ended, I'm in the in the locker room and I'm happy. I've got in my first major league game and got got. A, I think I got a throw from Maury Wills at shortstop uh, to make an out and to get a put out. 
And all of a sudden, Koufax comes over to my locker and congratulates me for getting in my first major league game. Mm. And the, the amazing thing about that is I grew up in L.A. So I grew up seeing all these guys, Drysdale, Koufax, Johnny Roseboro, Willie Davis, Tommy Davis, Jim Lefevre, all those guys. So to me, that was a, an unbelievable thrill. I know you've talked about, and I've heard you tell stories about the characters of the game and the ones that you've played with. Is Lasorda the number one character? <laughs> all time. Lasorda. All time. Yeah, T- Tommy is like my. Uh, he's he's my second father, because uh, Tommy signed me out of uh, high school. Uh, he was just uh, starting his career as a scout, and uh, so back in 1964. Uh, he signed me, and I remember him telling – I had a couple – that was before the draft. So you had a couple of other teams interested, and uh, one of them was Boston. And I remember him telling my parents, do you want your son – and we lived in – we lived about 15 minutes from Dodger Stadium. He said, do you want your son playing all the way across the country in Massachusetts, or do you want him playing right down the Pasadena Freeway <laughs> – at Dodger Stadium. You know, he, he was a salesman back then, and we had some great teams. We had a team, I believe it was 70, 70 or 71 in Spokane, Washington, at AAA, the Coast League, which was voted a few years back the best minor league team of the century. Uh, we had Joe Ferguson was the catcher. I played first. Davey Lopes played second. Uh, Ron Say played third. Bobby Valentine played short. Uh, the outfield was Peshorek, Bill Buckner, and Vaughn Joshua. So we had Lasorda didn't have to manage much. I don't think we had signs that year. He said, you're going to learn how to play the game, and you guys will know when to take a pitch, when to hit and run, when to do all that. If you show me otherwise, I'll, I'll give you signs. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, those Dodger teams, they just cultivate young players through the years. It's amazing for, you know, we're talking about five decades of baseball, them continuing to do it and do it now. You know, circling back real quick, Tommy, before we end this, uh, you know, it is 25 years of the Marlins, and and the story cannot be told with positive, with negative. There's been so much, as the Marlins have said, it's a complicated history, and I think that's kind of fair. But for you as a broadcaster, in all the years that you've done this, and certainly now it's a, it's a completely new day with the ownership of Derek Jeter and, and things that are happening now. Uh, but the story that was told previously in your 19 years as a broadcaster, what kind of sticks out for you uh, as really the most memorable moments that as Marlins fans that, you know, you point to that is in your mind's eye or, or you, you consider when you think about the time that you broadcast with the team? Yeah, well, first of all, being a Marlins fan has uh, a, the true fan, the, the ones who have, uh, stuck with it for a, a long time. They have had, as you well know, there are many ups and downs. Uh, and so uh, I, I really tip my hat to the true Marlin fan. Um, I would have to say in 97 when they won the World Series, that was my first year doing Marlins baseball. I worked with uh, Dave O'Brien and Joe Angel on TV. And so everything to me was kind of new. Uh, and it was a great year. There's no question about that. Won the World Series. But I think the, the most memorable year would be 03, just with the way everything happened, off to a bad start. Jeff Torborg was the manager, and I had a good relationship with him because he, he had come up as a Dodger, so I used to see him all the time in spring training and knew him very well. 
and then then he got let go and in comes this old guy Jack McKeon uh, and all the things sudden things really turned around yeah. uh so that that was the most memorable year uh the world series in 03 and and, and moving forward Tommy we know that you know kind of what the Marlins are up against at this point they don't like to call it a rebuild they've used the word build several times you got to know Stanton you got to know Ozuna uh, Yelich, you know, certainly those are the three main uh, players they traded, and also D. Gordon. When you watch the team this year in 2018, what what is kind of the takeaway from you? Have you seen a couple of positive signs from players that you think may have a future on this team when they are good in a couple of years? Oh, without question, uh, and I think we're seeing uh, a little bit of it right now with a uh, a nice run that uh, Lewis Brinson is on. Uh, he certainly has has the talent. Uh, JT Real Muto is uh, is one of the best, one of the top three catchers in the league, if not in baseball. JT Riddle got some surprising power and really is a solid uh, shortstop. And then I think we're seeing some guys getting opportunities. And that, you know, I remember as uh, I see some of these guys getting opportunities, and I think to myself, man, when I was coming up, every team I was on had a set lineup. We never got these opportunities. So guys will look back and they'll appreciate, uh, you know, getting a chance, whether they, they make the most of it or, or whether they fail, they're, they're at least getting the opportunity. All right. I got to end with this because so many people have asked me to ask you this question. Okay. Sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member for $90 more. I can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more. You'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach sweat platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is not going to be your favorite one, but I got to ask it because people have asked me to ask it to you. <laughs> Do if, I have if, to answer? You don't have to answer it, Tommy, but I, but, but I, but I got to ask it because people have asked me to ask it to you, and I, and I try to do the best job I can making sure I do it. Um, people have asked me in the future, Tommy, if one day, because obviously it was the wrong decision for you to be let go, and obviously it came from the highest end of Jeffrey Loria, who we have not heard from since he has sold the Marlins. But if one nor, day... Nor have I. Nor well, have I. Okay, but, but, if, <laughs> but if one day, one day, Tommy, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, you come face-to-face uh, with him, and he decides at that point, uh, hey, Tommy, look, you know, I'm sorry, made the wrong call there. Obviously, everybody knows it was the wrong call. It was the wrong decision. Would you accept an apology at that point? Do you think you ever could have a relationship with a guy that you had a good relationship, I think, for at least a few years during uh, your term with the first term with the Marlins. Yeah, I, I did. I, I did have a good relationship. Uh, and, and yes, I would. I'm not a, a vindictive person. Uh, uh, all, all is past. Uh, it would be forgiven. I, I have no animosity toward, uh, toward that group. So, yeah, I, I would without question. If you want to hear more Swings and Mishes, make sure to type that into your favorite podcast provider, and you will get episodes through the World Series. Craig Mish will continue to produce episodes, and then again, really gear up for spring training starting in February as the Marlins try to fast-track 
their rebuilding process. Now, the Panthers are in a different stage than the Marlins. They've done their rebuilding. They've re-signed a lot of their young guys to long-term contracts. And after the way that they finished last season, even though they missed the playoffs, they seemed poised to make a run to possibly be South Florida's best pro team this year. Now, the guy who knows them best is Steve Goldstein. He has been their play-by-play voice for a decade, and he is with the team, obviously, home and road. So he'll have interviews with all of the key players as well as analysis and guests from around the NHL. And recently, he sat down with Sean Thornton, who played nearly two decades in the NHL and is now part of the Panthers' front office. So here's a snippet from the Goldie on Ice episode with Sean Thornton. Do you think leadership comes from the entire group, whether guys have letters or not? And is the captain all that important? And and I ask that of you because you go back to the 15-16 season, the best season in Panthers franchise history, 103 points, win the division. Um, Willie Mitchell was the captain, couldn't play due to injury half the season. You were one of the guys in that dressing room, you know, getting a lot of guys going. Um, so does it really matter who wears the C, the A, and where the leadership comes from? I think the C. I think the C still, uh, depending on the organization, uh, sometimes you see it just being put on the best player. Uh, I'm not of that. Uh, you, you don't think it should just automatically go to the best guy? I don't. I think the captain should be the leader. But I, maybe I'm old school in that. Uh, regard again um, maybe I'm old school in a lot of regards but <clears throat> I think the captain has to be the person that the the room respects and looks up to uh, for uh, how he is as a human being not just a hockey player I think he also has to be the person that has the uh, has the balls to go in and tell the coach when we when something's not going right whether whatever that might be or to go in and, and be the guy that says things are going great and just stay, stay out of it right now. So uh, the A's are a little different. Uh, I think I think everybody in the locker room should lead in their own way too. I don't think you need to be a vocal leader to be a leader. I don't think you need to be a quiet, hardworking leader to be a leader. I think you can. there's different ways to lead, and people lead in their own ways, and they shouldn't try and be something they're not because that always comes off uh, a little bit fake. So uh, I think the letters – are they the end all be all? No, I think leaders will lead. I, I don't know if I had a, I'm, I didn't ever have a C on my letter or a, on my jersey in the NHL, but I'd, I'd be hard pressed, I think, for you to find somebody that didn't say I wasn't a leader in any of the locker rooms I was in. Anaheim, 06 07, you win a Stanley Cup. What sticks out now, all these years later, about that team? And what was that moment like when you, when you put that trophy over your head? The last three minutes on the bench for the last game, uh, sitting beside Brad May, and we were both saying, can you believe we're going to win a Stanley Cup in three minutes? They were the longest but fastest three minutes of my life looking back on both sides. Um, yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I got really lucky. I had played nine years in the minors, minors basically at that point, up and down a lot with Chicago. Uh, not a lot of games played, but I was up a lot. was sent down at the start of the year. Uh, Derek Bugard broke Todd Fedork's face, and uh, I got the call. But then they traded for George Peros. I got sent back down. And then uh, luckily in those six games or five games, I was up in the first uh, call-up. I was playing with Perry and Getzlaff, and we had uh, some pretty good success. Anyways, I got sent back down, called back up when something – I think somebody got moved. Uh, I played on the third line with Penner and Marchant. Uh, my first game, I had a Gordie Howe. My second game, I had two assists. I think I was like, you know, nine, seven points in nine games or something like that. I ended up with like eight points for the rest of the year, but uh, they had to decide whether they were going to put me on waivers, and they didn't. Uh, and I ended up staying for the rest of the year. Uh, 
tough year. I mean, I was by myself. Uh, my wife and I were only married for, God, I think a year and a half at that point. And I had spent half the year in Chicago the year before Christmas by myself. This one, I was in a hotel uh, right across the street from the rink from October 28th until she moved down March 1st. So same thing, Christmas by myself. She was Christmas by herself in Portland, Maine uh, with the dogs. Uh, a little bit of sacrifice that year, uh, but we ended up, you know, winning the Stanley Cup. So all worth it. The nine years in the minors, all the the hundreds and hundreds of fights, and the Christmases by yourself, all worth it for those 15 seconds. And I think that's all I took, or maybe even less, because I was afraid I wanted to give the trophy to the next person. I did not enjoy it as much as I should have. Um, but you know, it's accumulation of everything you ever put in uh, to be in that moment. And I never thought I'd be in the NHL, let alone winning a Stanley Cup. So it was it was a pretty crazy experience. So that said, it gets even crazier because immediately you go to Boston. Did you ever think, not only on the ice, but off the ice, the impact you made in that city? People love you in that city. I know you still do a lot of community work in that city. Um, you know, how did you wind up going to Boston? And did you ever think in your wildest dreams that, okay, you have all the years in the minors, you win the cup in Anaheim, that's probably the pinnacle, and then you have another whole chapter in that city of Boston? Yeah, I mean, I was 30 years old, too. Uh, Got to give my agent, you know, a lot of credit. He he got me league minimum for two years right after winning a cup. I might be like, no, I'm just giving him a hard time. Uh, there, a little better than that would have been nice. <laughs> there was there were actually uh, three or four teams after Anaheim uh, that were interested. Uh, Dale was trying to get me back to Chicago, and Boston was the only one uh, willing to give an extra year. Um, after moving around, spending those Christmases by myself, being up and down in the minors, uh, not knowing I wanted the sort of security you can always get moved but of a three-year deal um and boston was willing to give that uh, so that was how we made our choice um that's I, pretty honest of you by the way because very often you get a lot of people saying no it's not all about the contract but you know you you wanted the security as a guy that had kind of gone through you know a lot of tough times being all over the place yeah and and i knew chicago was going to be a good team really soon i had been in that organization i'd seen what dale was doing with it um Dale actually offered me more money uh, for two years, uh, for the first two years, uh, probably a couple hundred grand more, but I took a little less for longer years because I just wanted the security of finding out what the city was around, about. I had never been to Boston. Uh, when we played Lowell, I think I shot in one day for an afternoon, uh, one time in the minors. I didn't know one single person on the team. Probably the only per team that that was the case after playing nine years in the minors. You usually know somebody. Um, Cam Neely called me uh, and said, you know, I think you'd be a perfect fit for this city. Uh, we'd really like to have you. Uh, I know a lot of friends that have been in your role and have had a lot of success after hockey. And I was old enough to, and mature enough to really think about that. So uh, that's how we came to be there. Uh, I always had a, a weird fascination with it because every single person I had played with that went to college there or played one year there, whether, wherever they were from, they always moved back there or they always spent their summers there. And so me and the wife had a house in my hometown and said, let's sell it. Let's just buy in Boston. Uh, if we're going to put up with the winters there, let's see what these summers are all about. And we fell in love with it. Interesting. So then on the ice, obviously the success, I mean, your line became a staple. One of the, one of the most difficult lines to play against in the league. Um, did you feel it building up to that, to that cup year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, people, Luch was on another podcast. Uh, we won't name it, but uh, he was talking about the other day. We had, I think, ten or eleven thousand people in our arena for the home opener. My first, both of our first games. Uh, 
so you see that I was talking about this here yesterday, actually, you, you see that like our organization here is further ahead of where Boston was probably at that point when I got to Boston. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of angry people with the lockout, uh, trading Joe Thornton, all that stuff. Um, but that year we grew into a team that kind of took on the identity of the city and what they wanted to see. We had a very tough team and when we were losing, we, it, we tried to beat the hell out of the team we were playing against and Boston really takes that. They're like, you know what? They're not that good, but at least they're trying to kill the person for beating them. Uh, so it grew from there and we kept the same core together. Peter Shirley did a great job of keeping uh, basically the same core together and we grew as a group and we got to that uh 2011 uh we really thought we had the team probably the year before and then we saw how hard it was uh in the two three playoffs leading up to that cup run the you know we lost in philadelphia after being up three nothing and three nothing in the first period of the seventh game we really realized that things aren't for granted at any point in the playoffs so we took that into the next year and we we put the hammer down and we you know, we had to win some heartbreakers in Game 7s. Ex-Panther Nathan Horton really came through for us, and uh, we weren't denied. And I will say Anaheim was the most exciting day of my life at that point, but when I won it with Boston, that one meant more, if that makes sense. Like, the first one was, you know, the coolest day. The The other one meant more because I was really felt like I was part of getting the team to that point. So naturally, and I know you're a confident guy, so I'll use the word when, when you win one in your role with the Panthers in the front office, what will that be like? It'll be the, the third greatest hockey moment uh, of my life. I think as a player, it's uh, you can't you can't compare with that. But uh, I would love nothing more than to have a ring with the Panthers, uh, the crest on it. I think this team definitely has a chance if in the, in the very near future, and I'm really looking forward to being along for the ride. Is there one guy on this team, and a lot of guys had breakout years last year, so, um, you know, Barkoff being, I'm assuming, the most talented player, in, in your opinion, on the team, but is there one guy that you think on this Panther team that you'll look back on in three or four years from now and say this guy is really legit, flat-out superstar? It's Bark, Barky, obviously. Uh, everyone talk. I mean, when you talk to the 23 guys in that room, 22 of them talk about Barky and Barky doesn't talk about himself right like uh, um there's there's a lot of good players in that great players in that room uh I I love Troach I love his competitiveness he has that he has that bite to him he's probably been told no his whole life and he just wouldn't take no for an answer and he, he carries that into his uh how he he plays the game now uh I love watching Hubie uh how slippery is how greasy is with the with the puck how good he is at protecting the puck uh he's actually in my opinion he's not that flashy i don't think but you know you look at the scoreboard at the end of the night and he's got two or three points and you're like oh yeah he did didn't he? he's uh he's always there he he's a really he's really fun to watch uh you know on the back end we have a dan- dynamic uh core with you know yans has been there he's been an all-star twice uh ekblad already been an all-star and is about to crush some records i think as a defenseman in this organization maddie uh, when when maddie is on i don't know if there's anybody that's more dominant uh he reminds me of duncan keith at that age um so i listen we got a lot of good players in this organization and dale's and the, and the scouting staff done an unbelievable job of assembling this young core and being able to keep them around Looking forward to the season. Okay, let's get to some questions for you. Toughest guy you ever fought? Probably Bugard. Yeah, Derek Bugard, I'd say. 
mean trying to hurt you? Uh for me, it was always six, seven, six, eight was a lot of inches for me to give up because I'm only six one and a half. Uh, depending on the program, I'm six one or six two. If they want to give me the half inch or not, uh, anybody six six and below, like not taking anything away from. There's a lot of tough guys I fought. Uh, I could sit here for an hour and list them off, but anytime I had to fight somebody six seven or above, uh, it gave me the jitters a bit because I got really long arms for my height, but. It felt like six six could touch me, six seven, six eight could hurt me. <laughs> All right, I got that's a good one. I gotta remember that. Best teammate you ever played with with a combination of on and off the ice. Oh, that's tough. There's so many of them. Um, there's a few that I've kept in, in really close contact with after playing, and that probably speaks to how great a guys they were, in my opinion. So, you know, PJ Axelson, uh, I played with him in Boston, still talk to him all the time. Shane Knighty, who's now the uh the TV guy in, in Vegas, Tuka Rask, is, I talk about him all the time. He's one of my best friends. Uh, he's just as good of an individual as he is as a goalie, uh, maybe better. Um, not team of mine, but somebody I came to know in Boston and still see him around here all the time that uh, I have to give credit to is probably the greatest human being I've ever met is Bobby Orr. Uh, like I, I <laughs> called calls him my man crush, and it's it's true. I. Uh, Anything I'm trying to make a decision in life and whether I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, I kind of think would Bobby do it or not. And uh, yeah, he's just a, a great human being. So very, very fortunate to be a friend of his now. Most underrated teammate. Most underrated teammate. A guy that maybe you played with on whatever team, NHL, AHL, junior, and you kind of said, man, this guy is a lot better than anybody, you know, gives him credit for. Yeah, the name that sticks out, Lonnie Bahanas. Uh, you have to look him up. He, yeah. He, I played with him in St. John's. He was one of the best hockey players I, uh, I ever seen. Uh, he got called up to the least in the playoffs, and I think he had like five points in four games or something stupid like that. Another guy, uh, Nathan Dempsey, um, he played a little bit in the NHL with Chicago, a few hundred games, I think, Chicago, Boston, um, Toronto. He was our captain in the minors uh, in uh, St. John's, and back then, Toronto, there's no cap. We just spend – 70 80 90 million and get names because that's what sold in toronto uh he was an all-star every year i think i was with him in the minors he was the best defenseman in the minors but just caught in the wrong organization so uh finally got his break with chicago i think uh but yeah he he was not underrated when i was playing with him the minors knew how good he was but he should have been somebody that was in the nhl from his new nhl he would have been the nhl at 20 years old wow. who if was the one player today if sean thornton had to buy a ticket for a game who would be in that game who would I show up to watch? Connor McDavid. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I was thinking Barky though. He's right yeah. in that conversation with me, and you don't see it during games, but I, I watched. I watched him every day, and he. Yeah, if he didn't focus so much on the defensive side, yeah. they joke that he was the only guy back checking in the All Star game, right? Like he's just, he's awesome. I love that kid. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save 